The following Dharma talk was given at Common Ground Meditation Center in Minneapolis, Minnesota. The speaker is Mark Nunberg, guiding teacher at Common Ground. So I think for the purposes of getting started in the study, the most important thing is to feel to some degree empowered that being aware of the knowing mind is possible. Right? We can be aware of the that the activity of knowing, right? And we can be aware of how that knowing activity is colored in different ways. Sometimes the mind is tight, sometimes the mind is not tight. So the Buddha outlines the sort of different expressions of the mind, different qualities of the mind in this discourse he had on the Four Foundations of Mindfulness. So let me just read a couple paragraphs here, and then we'll be spending the next number of weeks unpacking it and taking closer looks at it. The Blessed One said this. This is from the beginning of this discourse. This is the direct path for the purification of beings, for the overcoming of sorrow, lamentation, and for the disappearance of pain and distress for the attainment of the right method, and for the realization of unbinding, unbinding, or nibbana. In other words, the four frames of reference, or sometimes called the four foundations of mindfulness. So in the past, I think this summer, we studied mindfulness of the body. In the fall, mindfulness of feeling tone. And now in the winter and spring, mindfulness of the mind, and mindfulness of the maps of the mind, or the mental objects, mental qualities. That's what we're doing now for the next 11 weeks. So in terms of this third category, this third establishment of mindfulness, the Buddha says, and how does a practitioner remain focused on the mind in and of itself? There is the case where a practitioner, when the mind has passion or greed, discerns that the mind has passion. When the mind is without passion, she discerns that the mind is without passion. When the mind has aversion, she discerns that the mind has aversion. And when the mind is without aversion, she discerns that the mind is without aversion. When the mind has delusion, she discerns (coughs) that the mind has delusion. When the mind is without delusion, she discerns that the mind is without delusion. When the mind is constricted, she discerns that the mind is constricted. When the mind is scattered, she discerns that the mind is scattered. So this is the first set of instructions that we'll be looking at. It's it's basically the Buddha's very short, succinct um, description of what to do with our mind. We're going to notice, is there aversion or no aversion? Is there greed, passion, or, or no greed in the mind? Is there delusion or no delusion in the mind? Is it constricted or not? Restless or scattered or not? So it's helpful, and there's more. We'll we'll get to more in this. But it's really helpful to have the vocabulary, but not to be confused by it, right? Because we're looking for actual experience that represent the words that we're using. So that the word scattered, you know, is like a holding it, it uh, helps us remember, oh yeah, sometimes the mind's like this, and I'll call that scattered, or 
Sometimes the mind's constricted. It's tight. It's like we're in mud. So generally, you know, we when we notice that constricted or contracted quality of the mind, sometimes the mind is really sleepy or dull or we say dead to the world, you know, it's unwieldy. It doesn't want to do anything. We're kind of in that sort of stunned, sticky and to ask the mind to do something, it's like moving in something thick. It just doesn't it just wants to sink or stay, right? So that's a constricted mind. A scattered mind may be too much energy, can't stay put. You aim one way, you know, kind of you put your attention somewhere, but it glances off, it deflects to something else, or it touches that but wants to go on to something else. So in the course of the next few weeks, we're going to use this very simple list greediness, aversion, delusion, constricted, contracted as one thing, scattered, dissipated as another. And it's really related to the uh, five hindrances, you know, the presence or absence of the five hindrances. Is the mind colored by these hindrances or is it not colored by these hindrances? And we're training the mind to recognize, like, you know, when somebody has been a birder for a number of years, their mind naturally has been trained to notice movement in the trees, to pick up on the color, to pick up on the sounds, right? They have this vocabulary that somebody who hasn't been trained would be mostly oblivious. Someone would have to really point out the movement or point out the colors or point out the sounds. It wouldn't be easy or to somebody trained in music. Their mind just knows how to deconstruct the experience of hearing music in a way that an untrained person can't. So we're people who are interested in the mind, in the nature of the mind itself. So we're training ourselves to very quickly, naturally, be able to deconstruct how the mind is expressing itself in any given moment. And so this is the first set of instructions. With or without passion, with or or without aversion, with or without delusion. Delusion is sort of interesting. Like the mind being fixed or certain is one expression of delusion. It's like holding to a fixed view. Or... um, like another way people talk about these first three qualities is like aversion, you're pushing something away, greed, you're holding on, and delusion, you're going around, you know, you're spinning in a way. You're not really connecting because you're spinning. You're trying to connect in a way that keeps you disconnected. You're trying to connect with what's going on, but you're your attempt itself is what's keeping the mind disconnected. That's an expression of delusion. So what is that quality like? I'm trying to figure out what's going on, but the trying is so colored by fear or greed that I'm not able to connect. Or I'm desperately holding to what I think is going on, 
not because it's what's going on, but because I'm dependent on thinking I know what's going on. Right? So that's another expression of delusion. So non-delusion is not those things. Right? The mind not... It's like when I was talking earlier about connecting with experience, connecting with the mind in and of itself, not in terms of my thought about my mind, my conceptions of my mind, but there's a mind here, a knowing mind right now for each of us. So what's that like? Well, you don't have to think about that. That actually is a deflection. When we ask ourselves, what's the mind doing or what's the mind knowing? You don't need language to know the mind, like what the mind is knowing. Or what's the attitude in the mind? What's the coloring in the mind? You just need to look, right? The mind just needs to. And the interesting thing is when we, uh, when we ask appropriate questions, the answer's right there. But it's not conceptual. You know, when I say something like, how's the foot doing? You know, it's just the attention goes there. And then it's easy to notice the warmth or the coolness or the aching or the pressure or whatever that direct immediate experience of foot is. So we use that vocabulary, we memorize it really, and we then train ourselves. So this first set of instructions, you can train yourself to bring it up. Like, is there greed? What's the mind knowing? can start with that. What's the mind doing? What's the mind knowing? And then, is there greed or no greed active in the mind? Don't rush to the next one. Just sort of then just continue being present with things as they are, Buddha knowing Dhamma, right? But you just plant that instruction in the mind. You know, what's the mind doing? What's the mind knowing? Is there greed or not? You don't think about you don't need to do anything else. Just you're just setting an intention to know whether there's greed or not active in the mind. But there's no special thing the mind needs to do because whatever the mind is, it's right here. And if there's greed or not greed, that's being expressed right here. We don't even need to like sometimes we think when I'm paying attention we need to go somewhere with attention. <clears throat> but it's, that's part, that would be an expression of delusion. Thinking that the object of experience is somewhere other than here. It's already here. Whatever we might open to, like the breath. The breath isn't here. You know, some people we get, sometimes we get headaches because we're trying to do something that doesn't need to be done and can't really be done. We can't really bring our attention anywhere. Everything's happening, objects of experience, they're already arising here in the mind or heart or whatever you want to call it. They're already right here. So the attention doesn't need to actually go anywhere. The thought that it does is delusion. Oh, there's delusion because I think I have to do something to be aware. Right? So part of the 
development of practice is knowing that Buddha is already knowing Dhamma. The wakeful knowing quality of mind is already knowing objects of experience. Can't be stopped. The question is, can that process of Buddha knowing Dhamma be recognized? That's what we're doing. We're learning to recognize Buddha knowing Dhamma. And the particular attributes of that activity of the mind that knows, knowing what's showing up in one's experience, which are just other aspects, just other objects being known, right? So with the, you know, as we make this our study, this is our hobby, so then our vocabulary increases, right? We're just better at noticing things that last week we didn't notice. You know, and then two years down the road, like we're noticing a lot more nuance of the mind, of what that mind that knows Dhamma the way it is. Because it's happening here and it's very rich. And the only thing that can get in the way, right, is distraction. There's a great line from some of you know. Sri Nisargadatta, this well-known Indian saint of the last century, he, he reportedly said, nothing is dense except the wall of inattention. Nothing is dense in this world except the wall of inattention, of not being mindful. So, Everything else is quite, you know, when we pay attention, one of the results of that is things just open up. Things become alive. And uh, it's like the metaphor that sometimes used is you light a candle in a room that's been dark for centuries. The light immediately removes the darkness. So this dynamic of, body and mind, the truth of body and mind, not the conceptual truth, not any conception idea we have of the body and mind, but the immediate experience of this, Dharma, the way it is, Buddha knowing Dharma, the way it is, it's immediately illuminated when we go through that wall of inattention, willing to be interested. But it's not easy because we think we need to think about it. So this is why we often train with the body. So even though the course is about mindfulness of mind and mindfulness of the mental qualities or these maps that we use to illuminate the mind, these maps that came out of the Buddha's direct experience, you know, just and any human being is going to map in very similar ways. This is sort of what made the Buddha uh, the Buddhist teaching so effective is that he did this mapping, this articulation of what he saw, you know, and then using language to map it. He did that in such a deep and simple way that it transcends a, a lot of what we might call culture. You know, well, that way of translating one's experience is specific to that time and place, that culture. But you find when we study these teachings that 
the maps that he used, the, the way he articulated the mind, actually our minds look a lot, you know, that map is quite useful. It lines up with my direct experience really well. So the next part, just a couple more paragraphs. Like I said, we'll be using these different instructions, but just to get it, give an overview tonight. So the next paragraph, the next set of instructions about mindfulness of mind, when the mind is enlarged, he discerns that the mind is enlarged. When the mind is not enlarged, he discerns that the mind is not enlarged. When the mind is surpassed, he discerns that the mind is surpassed. When the mind is unsurpassed, he discerns that the mind is unsurpassed. When the mind is concentrated, he discerns that the mind is concentrated. When the mind is not concentrated, he discerns that the mind is not concentrated. When the mind is released, he discerns that the mind is released. When the mind is not released, he discerns that the mind is not released. So this is the second set of instructions for mindfulness of the mind. And this really has to do with um, the development of samadhi or the unification of the mind. So an ordinary mind is not very unified. It's scattered and it's agitated and it's not very stable or steady. So that's one end of the spectrum. And then at the other end of the spectrum, the mind is really stable. It has a unified flavor to it. Steady, peaceful, because it's not agitated. And so the different words that the Buddha used, now, unless people have meditated a lot, it won't initially be easy to recognize these qualities that the Buddha was talking about. Right? So first he talks about um, enlarged and not enlarged. And so this, you know, different people interpret it slightly differently, but a not enlarged mind, or you could say a narrow mind, is a mind that's still obsessed with its likes and dislikes. You know, as we go through our day, mostly our mind is narrowly defined by what we like and don't like. Well, I don't like that pain in my knee, so I'm going to, you know, it just sort of fills the space of the mind negotiating what we like and don't like. All day long we're doing that. And a mind that has become enlarged, expanded, it's to some degree not obsessed with likes and dislikes. One of the things, you know, when our mind is obsessed or engaged with sense experience, what we're seeing, what we're hearing, the touches we're having, we, we can't help it but have opinions about every sense contact we're having. We just immediately interpret everything in terms of whether I like it or don't like it, or if it's neutral, I just don't care about it. So what makes the mind enlarged initially is retreating from our sense experience. So we're literally taking the attention and we're turning it toward the mind itself. We're saying right now, I don't really care so much about what's being seen, what's being heard, 
what's being felt in terms of bodily sensations, smelled or tasted, I'm going to be interested in the space or quality of the mind itself. And there's an experience of expansion, right? It's a relief. You know, as I'm, if I really tune in, it's a little bit like looking at a catalog with a lot of interesting stuff. And it's sort of exciting, but it's, it's uh, contracting to have to figure out whether I'm interested in that, whether I want it or not. Everything. <laughs> right? And so when we take, when we put it down, it's sort of, there's this uh, expansion, like I was caught in that and now I'm not caught in it. Or we're watching something that has many parts to it or reading a book that has many chapters to it. And, you know, it's getting late, it's getting late, and we're still reading because we always want to know what's going to happen next. And finally, you know, willpower shows up, finally, you know, and says, put that book down. And it's like such a relief (laughs) to say, I'm just going to forego knowing for now what happens next. I'm not going to be obsessed or concerned about that now. It's a relief. And the mind is liberated, right? It's expanded. It, it's not defined by what's going to happen next or do I want this or not or is, should I have taken signed up for the Buddhist studies class or not. So that's the, you could say, uh, a narrow mind, a non-expanded mind is a worldly mind. It's just concerned with creature comforts and what I like and don't like. And an expanded mind is a mind that has found some way to put that aside for a while. So we're interested in seclude. The mind is interested in renunciation or seclusion. Sometimes you hear, and it doesn't mean that it's forever. You know, we're never going to care about these things. It just means it feels really nice to not have to be concerned about that stuff. Even people who are deeply committed to changing the world, social justice issues, they need to put it down. Otherwise, they become insufferable and don't do good work. Same with parents. As as all-consuming as it must be for those of you who are or have been parents, I'm sure you realize that you have to put it down. And what a relief to put it down, to some degree at least. To let go of our worldly duties and responsibilities or our worldly obsessions, whether we are going to make this change in our home or not, whether we're going to do this thing, call this person or not. But it's not about aversion, it's just realizing that we can take the mind off of that. So that's another way to get to know your mind. Is it narrowly contained by likes and dislikes, negotiating the world of likes and dislikes, or is it relatively free of that right now? Not obsessed, not caught up in one's likes and dislikes. Remember, this mindfulness of the mind, it's not about judging the mind. 
So when there's aversion, all that bad mind. No aversion, good mind. It's just getting to know the territory of the mind. Oh, there's aversion. Recognizing that there's aversion in the mind should be a moment of gratitude or appreciation. Like it's so good. Like when the mind is colored by aversion, it is so wonderful, so skillful to be able to recognize that. It's liberating actually to notice the aversion or the greed or the sleepiness or the scatteredness, restlessness, deludedness of the mind. The enlarged mind, the expanded mind, the contracted, narrow mind. Right, And then there's surpassable and unsurpassable. And this, probably, the Buddha uses these two words to refer to, uh, in a more refined way, the development of samadhi. So we talk about this often in terms of the five jhanic factors. And we'll spend more time later in the course. But it's just the, the coming together of the unification of mind. So when the mind is willing to let go of its obsession with sense experience and whether it likes it or not, then that retreating, that seclusion from this outward orientation, it gathers speed, right? momentum. This retreating, this seclusion, this quieting. And it's described in particular ways, but the general terms the Buddha uses like Surpassable means the mind can become even more unified. Unsurpassable, the mind is completely unified. Completely, um, it has completely let go of its external obsessions. What it sees, what it hears, having opinions about what it sees and hears and touches. It just has equanimity with what's, Right, we don't literally shut off the eyes, shut off the ears. I mean, you might, you know, plug your ears, close your eyes, be in a dark room or whatever. But it's not about not having sense experience. It's about a more and more complete equanimity with sense experience. Right? It's like we're not orienting around sense experience. And so when that is kind of gone to its completion, then we call that an unsurpassable mind. Like the fourth jhana is the um, title of that state of concentration or absorption. When the mind is has removed itself or has um, abandoned its fixation on sense experience to such a degree that greed isn't operating, craving isn't operating. So it's like a liberation from those normal states of our mind. And then the next, the Buddha says, to notice whether the mind is concentrated or unconcentrated. And so one way to think about this is, now this is a pretty refined state of mind, but just to understand it on a conceptual level, a concentrated mind has its own integrity, meaning there is nobody trying to maintain the concentration. The mind has settled into a state and it's an activity of nature at this point. So it will leave that state when conditions are such. There isn't somebody making the mind stay in that state and deciding to leave that state. Because all of that sort of 
overlay of somebody doing the practice has been abandoned, right? That's worldly activity that's been abandoned. And so now the mind is in a natural state of seclusion and it will just leave it when it when the conditions are right for it to leave that state. It isn't somebody deciding to leave that state. So concentrated means that it's in that more pure, stable state of absorption. Unconcentrated means there's still somebody doing something to support the concentration. Could still be a, an amazingly refined and beautiful state of concentration, but there's still some sense of somebody participating, managing the quiet state of mind. And then the last, right, getting to even more refined states, liberated versus unliberated state of mind, right? So, you know, again, we have to, what is the Buddha pointing to with these words? But my sense is with liberated not versus non-liberated, like what is, what has the mind learned from this deep state, this very peaceful state of no craving, no agitation that comes from craving going on? Has that understanding been generalized? Or did, we, did the mind sort of fall into it? But we'll get a sense of this when we're there, right? When we're really observing directly, not conceptually, the absence or presence of clinging or the absence or presence, not just is the mind quiet, but is there any sort of latent, unfinished business? Like how resilient is that quietness of mind? Is it just quiet because the hindrances are suppressed? Or is it quiet because the mind is not confused by those latent tendencies to be greedy or to be aversive? Right? It's not going to, like the aversion might get triggered, but the mind's not confused by that tendency to be afraid or to hate. Oh, it's just that being known. So that's some of the flavor of liberation versus non-liberation. So this is, you know, this is sort of the layout for the first maybe half or two-thirds of the class. We'll be, you know, using different techniques to get to study the mind. Greed, no greed. Aversion, no aversion. Delusion, no delusion. Sleepiness or contractedness, stickiness or none. Scatteredness or none. Right. So the hindrances or no hindrance. Affected by the hindrances or not affected by the hindrances. So once we get a sense of that, then other times when there is more distance from the hindrances, right? so this would be a more settled beautiful state of concentration, then we get interested in the development of that state of concentration, how developed it is, how mature, how stable is that concentrated state of mind or that samadhi. And then we can just use like enlarged or not enlarged, still engage with my likes and dislikes or have some real space, not really concerned with likes and dislikes. That's a pretty expanded mind. Are these qualities of rapture and 
sukha, ease, and ekagata, one-pointedness. These are the jhanic factors. Have they been developed, refined to the point that they can't be refined anymore? I mean, some people think that the point of concentration is to get to a really quiet space, but there's a almost always a refining process, like when the mind is in a really quiet space, there is a quality of investigation, but what it's investigating, what the mind is investigating is, can this be even quieter? Right? Just like when we're doing just basic relaxation, like some of you do lie down in Savasana and do a little deep relaxation, which I strongly encourage everybody does at least once a day, find a time to lie down in Savasana, on your back, arms to the side, Prop up your head as much as you need to bring the spine in alignment. Legs comfortably apart. If you have lower back issues, elevate your legs. And just practice relaxing. And when we're doing this on a very mundane level, right? So this is very mundane compared to the states of concentration we've been talking about. But we just kind of go. Like the body feels pretty relaxed. But we don't, we don't just get complacent. We're sort of, there's a subtle curiosity like, are the shoulders really fully released? Or is it, are they still kind of tight? Oh yeah, oh yeah. You know, is the buttocks... Re- so there's that kind of natural curiosity, like can the system relax even more? Can the body melt into the floor a little bit more? Can the tension around the brow release a little bit more? This is just coming from love. It's not a demanding, you know, relax. It's like just a very authentic, natural curiosity because the mind is intuiting, trusting the letting go process, even in this mundane of just relaxing the physical body, the physical tension in the body. So in deeper states of concentration, jhana practice, you know, where we're really, the hindrances which generally agitate the mind are suppressed. They're, they've retreated, so the mind is in a pretty cool cool in a nice sense of the word, and peaceful place, then the mind is still interested, but it's just interested like, can this heart, this mind settle even more profoundly? Is Is there some agitation that could quiet? Or is it, is it peaceful to the nth degree, unsurpassable? And then how is that perfect peace being maintained by somebody? Or is it nature happening on its own? Nobody doing anything. So concentrated or not. Because the deeper states of concentration, the sense of self temporarily goes away. That's why it's such a profound, can be such a profound experience. And then the more profound state of liberation or not. So for homework, you know, next week we'll have our small groups discussion. So we'll have a guided meditation from around 7.30 to 8. Then I'll talk a little bit. And then at uh, at 8.30, we'll break into groups of three. And you'll share a little bit about your practice. So this would be a great thing. Now, it's a lot here already, but just... Greed, anger, and delusion, present or not. Just getting a sense, both in your formal sitting time and throughout the day. Just to train your mind to ask the question, what's the mind doing? 
What's the mind knowing? And then that just the mind will respond to that sincere question. And then to ask the second question, well, is there greed? And when you answer no, you know, it, it's fine, not in a hard way. Are you sure? <laughs> don't assume that because you don't see it, it's not there. It takes some time to learn to recognize. That's the whole point of this training we're doing together is we have to learn to recognize aversion and greed and non-aversion and non-greed, delusion and non-delusion, dullness, sleepiness, constrictedness and non-constrictedness, scatteredness, restlessness, and non-restlessness, right? It's a training. So the important thing is curiosity and like learning how to look because it's not about going somewhere to find out whether there's greed or not because it's here, right? So it's, that's why it's instead of the word seeing can, like looking, it's not about looking, it's more about opening to what's here, receiving what's here, being interested in what's here and now. That's really the work at hand. So let's just take a few seconds, let go of the words, take a breath or two together. Interested in the mind here and now? Recognizing it's like this. This talk, like all programs at Common Ground, is offered freely in the spirit of generosity. To learn more about Common Ground and its programs, or if you would like to donate, please visit our website, www.commongroundmeditation.org. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.